This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. I love that movie. I don't know if you do, but man, that's, it's just not Christmas at our house until we watch Elf. And so as we get ready to kick this series off, I thought it would be really appropriate to break that off for you guys. I love Elf because Elf is a story about a man who is very small, who shows up, and as you see in that story, he, his life intersects his father. He's never met him. But throughout this story, you see that this person who acts a whole lot like a kid has a big impact on the people that are around him. You see, Christmas, Christmas has become an animal in our culture. It's huge. It is still by far the largest American holiday. If you take the amount of money spent on decorations for holidays, add up every other holiday, it still doesn't even equal 50% of what we spend on decorating at Christmas. I mean, Christmas is huge. But when I read through the Scriptures... Christmas is small. When I read through the Scriptures, Christmas is small. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing that's in your, your notes, that the story of Christmas in Scripture is a small story. Let me expand that for you. You see, when we think of Stories that are large. We, we like large characters and large epic scenes. Just to frame it in a, in a story that's one of my favorite, Braveheart with William Wallace. There's thousands of people on a battlefield in a big speech. But in Christmas, we find two people and a baby. So, as we get ready to launch into looking at what it means to be small at Christmas in this series, the intention is to show you that in your life, the things that you think are small are things that God can use in your life. That there's times that I feel about that big. But in those moments, somehow God can use me. Because as we watch this story unfold, you're going to find out that God uses the most least likely people. Some very small people. And begins a very big story at Christmas. Let's turn in our scriptures today uh, to one of the biggest, most epic Christmas passages in 
all the Bible. If you would, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 20. That's a joke because it's not Christmas in Leviticus chapter 20. But as a backdrop for the story that we're about to read, I want you to see this verse. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. So when God gives the law that the Hebrews are living under as we read this story of Christmas, if a man and a woman have sex outside of marriage, what is the verdict? It's death. So let's read really in in your Bibles if you want to turn with me to Matthew 1. We're going to read through the, the birth of Jesus, just a few verses through verse 24, beginning in 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now let's stop there. For Jews, there were different stages of marriage. And without getting a whole lot into the marriage tradition of the Hebrews at that point, just understand that technically on a technical term, Mary and Joseph are married at this point, but they're in what's considered to be the betrothal period. They're not living together. The ceremony hasn't happened, but they are committed to each other. There's a covenant that's been drawn up, and here's what happens. Mary gets pregnant. Now, most of us, this story has become lily white over the years, and we have neglected to understand the scandal that's in that moment. Because in her culture, at that point, something grave has happened. As a matter of fact, to that point, let's go back to that verse. What did the scriptures say was to happen? They were to be put to death, right? That's what the Bible tells us. Now let's go back to the text there. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to a public disgrace he had in mind, to divorce her quietly. He considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord 
had commanded him. Now, that passage of Scripture for that man, Joseph, is something that for most of us we have just skirted and and avoided and not been aware of the context of what was happening. Now, the thing about Christmas is that we're so familiar with the story that at times we have to ask God, God, make it fresh to us again. Would you, Lord, open my eyes to see? And as we go through this, I want you to see some things. Because right there is about the end of where we start hearing about Joseph. I mean, we hear a little bit further on, but when Jesus gets to his adult days, we don't hear the name anymore. Now, his mother Mary is around. Most scholars believe that she at least lived four or five years after Jesus was put to death and then ascended into heaven after he rose. But looking at the textual evidence, there's some things that are indicated about Mary and Joseph. There's one, especially about Joseph, that he was probably much older than Mary. He was a simple man. By tradition, a carpenter. And he had saved all this money to pay for a dowry on a wife. And he found a woman. He found a woman in Mary, and then he put that money to her father and committed himself to her. And one day, this woman that he's committed to shows up. She shows up pregnant, folks. And let me just ask you, if the person that you were engaged to showed up and said, I'm about to have a baby, but it's because the Lord impregnated me. What? What are you talking? That's weird. That's just, that don't make any sense. I don't know what you're talking about. The, The Holy Spirit came on you. That doesn't make any sense. The scriptures tell us that Joseph was a righteous man. Here's something I want you to see in the beginning of this story. A story that literally within a couple hundred years had affected the known world. It begins in the hands of two small people. And Mary and Joseph could have shut it down from the beginning. But they did it. You see, when I look through this story, God uses people who are small to do great big things for his kingdom. So today, what's your kind of small? When you look at yourself today, do you say something like, I'm not good enough? God could never use me because I'm just not good enough.
I don't have all the talent, skills to do that. I don't, I don't have the personality to be that person. I don't have all of this. I don't have. I'm not good enough. Is that what you're saying about yourself today? Maybe, maybe you're saying today that I've never done anything great before. I mean, look at my past. It's broken. I've made a mess out of everything that's ever been a part of me. I've ruined everything. Everything that came before me, I messed it up. I mean, look at my past. How in the world could God use someone like me? Or could your small be that you just don't feel like you've accomplished anything that maybe in your past as well that there was just stuff that happened to you. Maybe it wasn't even something that you chose to do. It was just stuff that happened to you that there was situations that were out of your control. In those things, let me remind you that if you think in, in your smallness that you're not good enough, remember that it's not about how qualified you are. If you think, I've never done anything that was great before. I've never really accomplished anything. It is not about what you can accomplish. And if you think today it's, how can God use me? I have such an ugly and broken past. It is not about what happens to you. Your future is not determined by your past. So I want to look into this passage of Scripture and just pull out four things that as people who want God to use us to do some very big things for Him, four things that I see. And the first one is this, that we need to embrace not run from our circumstances. We need to embrace not run from our circumstances because when Joseph finds out that Mary is about to have a baby, his first inclination is to run away. His first thoughts are, I want to divorce her and get out of this covenant but God redirects him. He sends what scripture from really very early on calls the angel of the Lord. It really is oftentimes referring to Jesus coming to us. The angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to Joseph and says, what? What has happened has happened. and That is God's baby. You're going to name him Jesus. You're going to be his father. 
And he is going to save this world from its sin. You see, God directs Joseph that instead of running from his circumstances to face them. Now, understand the cultural context that you're talking about. Pregnancy, folks, is not something you can hide. And as Mary began to grow and grow and grow, People would say, isn't that the girl? Isn't that the girl that's going to marry Joseph? Aren't they betrothed at this moment? How did she get pregnant? Where did that come from? Joseph, what are you going to do about this? And the answer was, I'm going to stay. Because I've committed to her and I'm committed to that baby. You see, some of you right now in your life have some just ugly crap that's going on. It's ugly, and there's no other way to paint it. It's gross and broken. And most of us, when that stuff starts to happen, what do we want to do? Away. I want to get away. That person, get them away from me. Get that situation away from me. But... If God is going to use you, it's going to mean that when brokenness happens, you face your circumstances. You don't run from them. So maybe at home, things aren't the way you want them to be. Maybe you've got some problems with your kids. Maybe with your marriage, there's some tension that's there. Don't run from it. Face it. The second thing that I see, and folks, if we can learn this, if we can get this and bury this in our spirits and just let it be something that identifies who we are, this is so huge for us. And in the context of Scripture, We see this, that grace is bigger than judgment. Grace is bigger than judgment. You see, Joseph had had planned to to be very gracious to her. And I love the fact that as this story is retold and the Holy Spirit illuminates the writer of Matthew, As this gospel is being written, this detail is included. That Joseph was a righteous man. And instead of making a public spectacle, he decides to divorce her quietly. You see, we always have the option when someone has done us wrong to be judgmental. It's always going to be something that we can choose to be. But if we're going to be life-giving, if we're going to be people who are people that God can use to do big things, we've got to embrace the fact that grace 
is always bigger than judgment. And when you see this story unfold, let's just imagine this. Every time Joseph takes the hand of that woman, that's grace. Sometimes we let a judgmental attitude separate us from somebody else because they hadn't done what we thought they ought to do. We see here that grace creates intimacy. Judgment creates separation. That we have to, in the midst of brokenness, extend grace. Because when we get the least little bit judgmental, what happens? It's really simple. We start pushing people away. The third thing that I see in this story, and this is, again, man, let us be this kind of church. That willingness, willingness matters a lot more than talent. Willingness matters a lot more than talent. And Luke, as Luke tells the story, Luke talks about the interaction between the Holy Spirit and Mary. And as he talks about that, the Holy Spirit says, I kind of describes as, as what's going to happen. And this is Mary's response in Luke 1.38. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have told. In other words, just whatever. Whatever. I mean, if that's what you want to do through me, take me. Use me. The Old Testament tells us that obedience is a lot greater in God's eyes than sacrifice. And I see in these people this fourth thing and this so, again, just so important in your notes. The biggest thing that any of us can do is to be obedient. I can't imagine the hurt of having a woman that you have, you're, I mean, think about it, you're an older man, you're, you have worked so hard to save up this dowry that would be very expensive to leverage towards a marriage, and you're now in a betrothal, which means that there's a, a young girl that is committed to marry you, but then she comes to you and tells you that she's pregnant. I can't imagine the hurt and the pain that's associated with that moment. But Joseph was a righteous man and he did intend to divorce her quietly but the angel of the Lord shows up and tells him, now you go ahead and take her. It's exactly as she has said. And the scriptures tell us 
in verse 34 that he got up and did what God commanded. Some of us just need to simply get up and do what God commanded. Stop sitting, stop waiting, stop wallowing, stop living in judgment, shame, and just get up and be obedient. Because as we walk through this story, I see God choose two very unlikely people to begin an epic story of redemption. And you might look at yourself today and say, there is no way in the world God could ever use me. Now, I understand you're talking about this, but you don't know me. I don't care if I don't know you. Because I can tell you that those two people right there were as unlikely as you are. And today, if we want God to become big in our small this Christmas, we've got to be willing to let him be big in our small. The first question that I want to ask you as we get ready to, to close is real simple. It's really the antithesis of the what we've been talking about. The question is this. How big are you? In your life, in your eyes, how big are you right now? I mean, do you feel big? Because Herod is barely mentioned in the story of Christmas. Barely. He gets about two lines. And in his day, if you were to talk about who was big, it was Herod. He had all the money. He had all the power. He had all the esteem. But centuries later, who's big? How big are you? Because as I read through Scripture, God uses some people that I would never have chosen to use. Ever. An angry fisherman? Peter? That doesn't make any sense. The dude just couldn't get it right. But somehow, God uses him. Can I just be vulnerable with you? Me. I don't understand it. Like if I were going to call somebody, I wouldn't have called me. But God did. How big are you? Because... If we want God to use us, and I'm, I'm telling you, I just don't think that you have even got a glimmer of what God can do in your life. 
I don't think you've even begun to see a fraction of how God can use you. And some of us sit back and go, but no, I think I've seen. No, let me tell you that he is still the God that says the book of Ephesians tells us is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. That you have barely began to scratch the surface of how God can use you in this world. But if he's going to use you, you're going to have to embrace the small. So the question for you today is, will you embrace your smallness and let God use it? Because when God writes a story, it's not about my glory. It's not about my esteem. It's about his goodness, his grace, his glory. It's about him doing something through something that I I never could have imagined him using that. And somehow God shows up in an area that I am broken and small and he amplifies it and uses it. You see, this whole thing began with two people who could have shut it down. But they were small and willing. And the question is, will we be as well? Let's pray. God, today, it's our sincere prayer that you, God, would be big and that we would be small. That you would be great, God, and we would be Players in the story that you're writing. God, let us be the pen in your hand. God, we love you. We're so honored that you would even look at us and see potential. So today, God, as we humbly kind of pause and reflect, Lord, challenge us, encourage us, but point to those areas that we think are so small and show us that you can take small people and do great big things. So with nobody looking around today, I don't want anybody stirring everybody still. Let me ask you a question about your position right now. If I would ask you today, is God in position in your life to take those small things and use them as big? Would you be able to say yes? Today, could you say that yes, I want God to take it, but is God in life, in your life, in position to do that? Because you see, The only way that that works is when God is the Lord of my life, when Jesus is my Savior. And perhaps today you may recognize that, you know what, I've been living for everything except Jesus. And so I just want to ask him to come and be my Savior. If that's you, nobody's looking, everybody's eyes are closed. This is just so that I can pray with you. Would you raise your hand right now? If that's you.
What about those of you today that would say that I, I can see smallness in my, in my life right now? I see that there's some areas that God could use, but I just, I haven't been letting him, but I want to commit to doing that right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see them. Anybody else? I want to commit to let God use the small things in my life. If that's you, raise your hand. Let me pray for you, then we'll close it up. God, thank you so much for taking the small things in our lives and amplifying them, adding yourself to it and using it for your kingdom. God, help us see that we can do great things for you and for your kingdom if we embrace the small in our lives and let you be big in our small. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.